Hey there, We Can't Wrestle Podcast listeners. If you haven't noticed, we have switched our server to Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First of all, it's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So go ahead, download the free Anchor app, or go to anchor.fm to get started. Highly recommended by me and everybody else here at the We Can't Wrestle podcast. Hello, wrestling fans, and welcome to episode 84 of the We Can't Wrestle podcast. <laughs> Nate and Aaron yes. here with you. Aaron apparently dying on the other end of the, the spectrum. Um, just getting over my illness. Uh, God, it's been going around. The wife's been sick for like two and a half weeks. Luckily, I haven't uh, gotten any of that yet. So, but on this, those of, you, those of you that live in like Florida and and other California, I don't know if we have people listening in those areas and everything like that. You know, we're sunshiny and nice. <laughs> You'll fuck yourselves. <laughs> but not really. This week's show, we are going to do... I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. But I think everybody should have to live in this geographical area of the country at least at least for two years of their life. Just to know. Just like everybody should have to work... Everybody should have to work in customer service for a year, too. Yeah. But everybody should just have to live in, like, the Ohio, Indiana, Michigan area. For at least two years. That way, wherever you go back to, when you start bitching about it... You, you'll appreciate what you got. <laughs> well, on... It's raining. <laughs> I've mowed the yard while it's raining. It's... You know what I mean? Yeah. Like... Get it. I've gotten, Go ahead, I've gotten up and in the morning and it's been 60 degrees and gotten out of work and it was 22 and there was snow yes. and ice all over my car. And then I'm like the uh, the scene on Fargo where William H. Macy goes out to scrape his window. Yeah. And then he just flips. It's just, it, that's the moment for him. He just flips the fuck out. Yes. <laughs> uh, I love that movie. <laughs> Gustafson. All right, so on this week's show, what we are going to do is we are going to uh, reflect on uh, wrestlers that we lost in 2019, kind of to wrap up 2019 here on the show. Um, and, wrestling personalities, not every one of them was a wrestler. Right, but... and also we uh, we were going to, uh, one of our listeners, um, whose name I hope I don't, I don't, hope I don't butcher it, Nick Apalewski. Uh, requested that we watch WWF Super Tape Volume 2. Nick, that is coming up on a future episode. Aaron's WWE Network has given him some shit today, so he didn't get to watch the show yet. But I promise yes. I promise that is in the works, and we appreciate you uh, listening and supporting the show and putting in a I request. I tried to look it up on YouTube, but it was not on YouTube, so... So we'll just we'll just go ahead and say that'll be the next episode. We'll do that. So as kind of a calling an audible, we're going to talk about um, just 
little moments in wrestling that stick in our head. I think that's kind of which is one of ours. Great sponsors here on the Weekend Wrestle Podcast, Audible. <laughs> we don't have a sponsor. Not, not yet. Um, one of us should have a sponsor, but we don't have a sponsor. <laughs> and now i got to think which one of us needs the sponsor. Um, so I think we'll start off with the... Uh, the, <coughs> the, 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 the performers we lost in 2019, and then after that, like I said, just... We're going to discuss five, just, I guess the gist of it is, things of, things in the history of wrestling that stick in our head. Right, Aaron? Like, things you think of. Just... Yeah. Just random moments. Little moments or segments. Like, it's or, not necessarily, like, you know, like, you know, Hulk Hogan beating the Iron Sheik. That's in everybody's head, you know right, what I mean? Right. But everybody has, like, little personal things. It's like, this tickled me, or this was a fun moment for me, or I really enjoyed this, you know? This, this was this was a really standout promo that I think about. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like, that... a, lot of pe- a lot of people talk about, like, you know, when Scott Hall came out for the first time in the NWO, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But But nobody as much talks about like when Kevin Nash came out, but I'm sure there's people that thought it was cooler when Kevin Nash came out than when Scott Hall did, you know, right. that type yeah. of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess to start the conversation about people we lost in 2019, you have to start with Harley Race. Passed away at the age of 76 this year, or, this, or last year, I should say. Um, that guy... Um, one of the greatest of all time, um, and a guy that um, when I was a young kid, he was just the the. Uh, it's funny. He's one of those guys that when I was young, he was just he was that King Harley Race guy from the WWF, you know. And then as I got older and started watching history instead of watching just what I was being presented as a child. You know, you get to learn and see, wow, that guy was really fucking good. And you know, that's my thing about Harley. You know, it's just he was, uh, he was a guy that, um, like I said, I, I didn't know a lot about him. And that the fact that, you know, when I was a little kid, 10, 9, 10 years old, and he's King Harley Race of the WWF, I didn't realize, oh my God, this is a guy that's had 22 years of a career before this, you know. Yeah, and that's one thing. Like, I was watching old. I've been watching a lot of old WCW. Mm-hmm. Like, cause they put like the Saturday nights on there and things like that. So I've been watching that because I just liked it when I was a kid, and it makes me think about when I was a kid. You know. Right. <clears throat> and I know that, like they say, like the WWE is is honoring their past, and they do that now. Okay, but back like then, WCW like they actually honored the past of professional wrestling more than the WWF did. Yeah, like when they put Harley Race in, he was just Harley Race, whatever. Like King Harley Race, you know. Mm-hmm. We're not going to acknowledge that this guy's a seven-time world champion or anything like that, but but. WCW, NWA, WCW would do that, you know? Right. They'd acknowledge what people did in other places, and they would acknowledge what... I I don't know if what I'm saying makes sense. It does. Vince, 
until until the 90s Vince McMahon didn't even acknowledge that there were other wrestling promotions on yeah. TV and and you're right they would you know they would bring they would bring well I mean shit look Gorilla Monsoon in 1990 probably a rib but in the 1993 Royal Rumble Gorilla Monsoon called uh, Carlos Colon this youngster <laughs> yeah this youngster coming out here <laughs> No, it's probably a rib because Gorilla was in business with Carla. You know, he owned part of Puerto Rico yeah. for years. But you know, in the WWF, you know, the, you know, the WWF, that, in WWF, that was Carlos Colon's first match. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying like, but anyway, I just Harley Race was. He was one that when he died, I was like, God damn it, you know. One of the best wrestlers on I, God's I, green I earth, as he would say. I don't. I don't want to read that this guy died, but it happened, and he was not very old in the scheme of things, mm-hmm. and that man lived a few lives, like yeah. what would be consider, would could he considered a few lives in the seventy six years that he was alive, mm-hmm. and and actually, um, I don't want to, I don't. I'm not saying this to sound morbid or anything, but with a, as as many times as he had kind of scares and stuff there those last few years, he actually lived longer than I thought he would. Like, and again, I'm not trying to be morbid, but you know, there were some incidents there where like he had that fall and he was in the hospital and and stuff, and it was like, oh my God, we're gonna lose Harley, and then it finally kind of happened almost out of I guess out of nowhere because it didn't seem like there were any of those scary moments or anything right before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely, uh, definitely a legend lost. And um, if you want to see something cool, um, a couple of couple of really cool Harley things. First of all, we're talking about moments in wrestling that stick out. Everybody knows the the uh, the, the the Ric Flair bounty promo that Harley does, leading into Starcade '83. But Eric, something Aaron and I always joke about is there's a point in the promo where Harley kind of gets a little lost <laughs> when, he, when, he, when he's talking about people he wants to, you know, Paul Jones in your army, uh, uh, Dick Slater, and then he kind of pauses, he's like, uh, Kabuki. Kabuki. <laughs> like, he was just a little lost. And then, the, and then that one that leading up to it where he's just standing outside his car, like, yeah. being Harley. <laughs> He's like the epitome of cool. <laughs> Just waiting for that girl to come over and interview him. <laughs> well, it's a guy, but to him, he's like, whatever. Oh, yeah, the girl does the reporting outside the contract signing. That's right. Yeah. But, and then... Uh, he, he, I, I mean, he was just the man, and... I know, I know I, he, he has your he, he has your favorite Hulk Hogan match. Yes, that match they have. But, well, it's okay, I shouldn't say my favorite Hulk Hogan. My favorite, like... Not wrestle. It might be my favorite Hulk Hogan match. I don't know, but it, it's if it's not my favorite, it's pretty high up there. But it's because like Hogan doesn't work like Hogan in that match. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, he doesn't work like WWF Hogan. Yeah. Um. Uh, another guy that that uh, we lost in 2019. Um. I mean, I guess we'll go with the. I mean, who doesn't? That's in our age group. Who doesn't have fond, fond, many fond memories of Mean Gene Okerlund? Put that cigarette out. 
I he wasn't a long time close personal friend of mine because I never met him, but I feel I felt like I knew him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the guy was, Mean Gene Oakland, was in, involved in some way in professional wrestling the entire time that I watched professional wrestling. Right. And he was uh, he was most definitely. I don't know that anybody would ever. I don't know that anybody could ever dispute that he was the best guy to interview wrestlers. He was the best guy to lead lead a wrestler through an interview. Um, I mean, when you look at Mean Gene, it, it's funny because there's a lot of wrestlers that are great promos and et cetera, et cetera. But Mean Gene interviewing somebody, <coughs> it's a package. I mean, when I think of somebody interviewing Hulk Hogan, I think of Mean Gene. And then you go later in the career, when I think of somebody interviewing Ric Flair. I mean, Ric Flair during the Nitro years, you know, with Mean Gene. It's the shank of the evening. Yeah. You know, they became synonymous with each, with each other. And I l- always loved a, a Mean Gene, Jake Roberts interview. Jake, some somehow, some way, always taunted Mean yeah. Gene. And um, his interviews with, like, I mean... Anybody the guy interviewed is great. I mean, you can't say, oh, well, Mean Gene didn't have a good interview with this guy. It's like, no. Or even later in his career, he was one of the best things about WCW 2000 when he was, like, pissy Mean Gene, (laughs) grumpy Mean Gene. Yeah, and and he had great, like, um, reactions to people and things that people would do. And, yeah, I just, I really like him, or really like him. (laughs) (laughs) I know what you meant. You know what I mean. Like, like there, there's nobody else like him. And if there's things that he would do that if somebody else did it, you'd be like, this is stupid. Like, this is hokey. But for some reason, it wasn't hokey. Like, <clears throat> if Gene would be like, oh, 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 my. You know? Like, yeah. you, you, for some reason, when it was Gene, you let it go. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you, folks, one of my favorite interview moments ever is at SummerSlam... 90 when they're in Philadelphia and Ultimate Warrior asks Mean Gene what's the difference between Rick Rude what is it what's the difference between Rick Rude and the Liberty Bell no what do they have in what do do the Liberty Bell what is the Liberty Bell and Rick Rude and Bobby Heenan have in common One's cracked, and the other's a ding-dong. And then Gene doesn't laugh. And then Warrior looks at him, and Gene's like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> And not to mention, fuck it. <laughs> and you know, another thing that does, I, I, I guess I won't say doesn't get talked about, but everybody, we all, we all loved the duo and the chemistry of Gorilla and Bobby. And I think sometimes the the the, the, the the chemistry between Bobby and Mean Gene doesn't get talked yeah. about enough, you know. Yeah. Um, they were really good together too. Um, but yeah, definitely a, a loss for pro wrestling. Mean Gene Okerlund. He's one of the guys I never got to meet that I wish I could have, you know, before he passed. He just never wound up at a at a convention that I was going to or anything before. I never got to meet him. Um, it would have been cool. I heard, and I also have always heard. As far as meet and greets and stuff, he was he was a great guy too. As far as 
you know, fan interaction, and and he appreciated what he had, and he appreciated the fans. So, uh, yeah. Mean Gene will be missed in professional wrestling, and in some wrestling, like um, other wrestling fan base circles, not 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 ours. Um, apparently, he died twice. <laughs> so I saw that. <laughs> uh. That poor man. <laughs> But to his credit, I think he waited till there were like 87 blistering comments before he deleted his own post. <laughs> I'll get him that. <laughs> oh, God. All right, next up, King Kong Bundy passed away this year. That was one I didn't see coming. You know, he was, I, I don't, I, for some reason, this thing, I, I was a dumbass and didn't write down how old he was. Um, but King Kong Bundy passed away. 60s, I believe, 64 maybe. Um, that guy, I think King Kong Bundy's an underrated heel. A lot of people, a lot of people like shit on the fact that he main evented Mania with Hogan at WrestleMania two, and WrestleMania two is not a really good show. But he was a, he was a perfect opponent for Hulk Hogan. Yeah. You know, and the angle leading up to it was good, where he put Hogan on the shelf with the rib injury, and I mean it was a good old fashioned Hulkamania storyline. And he was a good old-fashioned Hulkamania heel. Like I, and you know, you put him with Bobby, with a, which was a smart move. They took him not not dissing Jimmy Hart, but Jimmy Hart and Bundy to me didn't go together, but Bobby and Bundy definitely did. And I was one year over. Bundy was sixty-three years old when he passed away. Okay. He uh, passed away the day after my birthday, March fourth, two thousand nineteen. <clears throat> He also had, um, I enjoy, I enjoy him also in world class as a heel going back and watching now, um, with hair and without the hair. Yeah. <laughs> and he had Fritz's retirement match with Fritz at the, uh, at the uh, big stadium there in Dallas and, and he was a good heel there. Um, but yeah. And then for some reason, he just kind of fell off the map <laughs> in the late 80s and then uh, resurfaced in the WWF in 95, 94-95. Um, got to participate in... Poor Bundy. Both WrestleManias he was in <laughs> in big <Pretty> matches. <laughs> but regardless, like I said, I think that... Uh, I'm never going to say King Kong Bundy's one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, but I think as a monster heel, he did the job. And um, I always, I always enjoyed Bundy. Um, probably Bundy's team with Stud is the only time I can really stand Stud. To be honest with you, I'm not a big John Stud yeah. guy. Um, One of my favorite things is like when Bobby Heenan and and Andre the Giant and King Kong Bundy were together, and they were Bundamania, Bundamania, Bundamania. <laughs> like, like Bobby Heenan just had like the the two biggest motherfuckers in his corner. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I liked when, like, Bundy was... Like, Andre was with Bundy trying to get a Hogan. You know you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it was cool. Yeah. And, like, when Andre would manage Bundy, it, it was cool stuff. <coughs> Definitely. Um, the next guy we'll talk he wasn't, about... He wasn't the greatest... Like you said, he wasn't the greatest wrestler in the world. But... He was a hell like a like a hell of a bump taker and shit like that in my opinion. Oh yeah, for a big dude, yeah. 
He was a, he was a, he's kind of like I, I liken him to another guy that kind of catches flack. But if you watch him, you know who else is? And I don't want to get off topic, but you know who else is like for a big dude? Like I I actually call him out of respect because I really liked him. You know who else is a big fat bump machine? <laughs> Who's that? One man gang slash Akeem. Oh yeah. Like you watch him, you watch him wrestle Savage or Hogan or. Uh, um, that super tape that, that we're going to review, he rests, he has a match with Hercules. It's short, mercifully, but he's a bump, he's a big fat bump taking machine. That dude could bump <laughs> for them baby faces, you know? And that's what a big heel's supposed to do. Dominate and then bump. <laughs> what? Dom- dominate then bump. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a 90s, uh, rap song. <laughs> Another guy we may not, you and I may not have a lot of discussion here to talk about. We but we do have to show respect. I honestly have not seen again. This is a guy that was before my time. Didn't see a lot of his career. But uh, seventy six years old, we lost Pedro Morales this year. Yes, and he should he should be talked about. And I don't. I've just obviously seen clips and then um, things of when he was like you know working as an agent in the WWF, but was still, like, doing, like, tag team matches, and he had that little, um, uh, didn't he have a little, little mini feud with, like, Randy Savage? Yeah, he had a run with Savage, uh, kind of to, to, to establish Savage as the Intercontinental Champion when he first yeah, won the title. Like, he was the Intercontinental six. Champion, and Pedro was the... The last big face Intercontinental Champion. I think Pedro even did a little run with Piper, too back during that time i know bruno and bruno did one with piper and savage but Mm -hmm. (coughs) yeah i mean i can't speak a lot to pedro's career because i wasn't around for it but i know i've watched matches with pedro in it that were fantastic like there's a match on a dvd that i have where he fights uh um, Ivan Koloff, and it's just, it's, but you think it's like, oh, this isn't going to be very good. And then they just start lighting it up. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's Jim Ross does the commentary for it because there wasn't any commentary on it. Mm-hmm. But it's good. So, yeah. But, and, and, you know, another thing that um, I've always heard about Pedro is in the 60s, 70s, WWWF, there was nobody other than Bruno, that was more over in MSG than Pedro Morales. So there's something to be said for that, you know? Yeah. In that time frame, you're over with that crowd. You the man in New York, baby. (laughs) Um, Another guy that uh, passed away this past year, um, actually in the ring, was Silver King. Um, He wasn't underrated in Mexico, but I think during his time... In WCW, in the in the with the luchadors, he was he was an underrated luchador in WCW. The guy was he was almost like a, you know, in the luchadors he was like Val Venus. You know, he was a really good hand. Um, somebody you want to take, you want to put help to have him go out and put out put over uh, Rey Mysterio or or Hoovy or yeah. somebody like that. Um, Honestly, I'd say you know more than a more than a Val Venus. You know what Silver King would be hmm. of the luchador locker room i think silver king would be like the the greg the hammer valentine of the lucha that lucha locker room 
the guy that can put somebody over, he's kind of stout, and he, but he can just go and go and go and yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> and and the only thing, like, I mean, I can't say nothing bad about him. I can't. I also can't say that you know. I know everything about his his lucha libre career either because I don't. You know, like I didn't know who Silver King was before he showed up in WCW. Right. You know. I know that I was watching um, WCW Saturday night leading into the NWA um, tag team tournament. Remember that thing they did? Yeah, yeah. Where they had, like, the Malenkos. Yeah, and they said the Malenkos were, um, um, I forget what they said they were. I'd have to look it up. But anyway, um... Um, the Silver Kings are on there, and they they cut one of the worst <laughs> worst promos I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> ever seen that that video where that kid's like, "You ever think you can do what do? Can you do what you could?" <laughs> yes. Isn't that kid, that's what Silver King reminded me of on that. <laughs> Not to disparage him or whatever, but it was like that played, and I thought to myself. I'd say all the time how much I loved WCW as a kid, but they allowed that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's like that's not Silver King's fault. <laughs> he's 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 Hispanic or he's Mexican and he doesn't speak English and they have him try to cut an English promo and Yeah, why didn't you just have him cut it in Spanish, you know? <laughs> have him cut it. Or why after he did it did they go Huh we'll go with it. <laughs> put it on there oh it's horrible <laughs> but anyway i know we're not talking about bad things about guys but no silver king was entertaining and um it's unfortunate that he passed away in the ring mm-hmm. and i know like people as well he died doing what he loves like i hate when people yeah, say nobody that. wants to nobody wants to die at 51 years old at work <laughs> I don't care what you do for your job. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody wants to pass away at 51 at work. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. <laughs> um, just a couple of other. The only ones. thing I want to do, the only the only thing I want to die doing that I love is sleeping. <laughs> hey, let me just die in my sleep. I love to sleep. Just let me die doing let that. Me pass on I'll, peacefully. Other than other than that, it's just horrifyingly painful and terrible. <laughs> And then all you got to remember is, I really like to wrestle, and then I died doing it. <laughs> My spirit will not rest easy. Yeah, like, oh, he, his shoe didn't open. Well, he loved... He loved he parachuting. Loved, he loved parachuting. I bet he didn't about... Thirty before the end of it. He, he loved he loved observing nature. Yeah, probably until that bear knocked his fucking head off. <laughs> hate him. Um, I hate him. He died doing what he loves. God damn it! Just a couple. Of, just a couple other ones I have written down here. Um, another one we lost is uh, another guy whose actual wrestling career um, I'm not too familiar with, but. He is a huge part of most of my wrestling memories from my childhood and my teen years. Um, the story was actually broke by friend of the show, wrestling historian and host of the uh, Breaking Kayfabe podcast with Bowden and Barry, um, Barry Rose. 
that uh, even though we didn't know until December, Rene Goulet passed away in May of this year or last year. Um, and when I say he's part of the, he's he was to me he was the guy in the suit with the long hair that came and broke up fights in the WWF all the time. Yeah, like that's what his career was to me until again, like I said, you know, you learn about the past. But um, and it's like I told Barry when we were talking earlier today. The craziest thing to me is WWE didn't know it. The guy worked for him for like forty years, and they didn't know he passed away like seven months ago. It's crazy. Yeah, but I mean, there's times. I know it's different, but I mean, I was talking about a guy that used to work for me and. I mentioned his name, and, you know, he wasn't always the most light guy there or whatever, and somebody was like, yeah, he wasn't the most light guy, but you don't like to hear about that happening to somebody. And I said, what do you mean? And they were like, well, he died. I'm like, what? <laughs> I know that guy died. You know? Yeah. I know it's a heartless, I don't want to sound heartless, but sometimes you lose touch with thing, people, you know what I mean? Right. Or right. situations, or just, it happens. If if Rene Goulet distanced himself from the WWF or WWE and didn't have anything to do with them, and no, nobody from the Rene Goulet family reached out to the WWE, how would they have known? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Well, probably most of the people that are even associated with with Rene don't work there anymore. So that's yeah. what I'm saying. So like, I don't know. The only other two I have written down here. Um, Not to disparage the deceased, but we lost the fake Razor Ramon this year. Rick Bogner passed away at the age of 49. Um, I, I know, you know, it's big. It's sad that the guy died, but that is one of the biggest dumps ever taken on a wrestling program was the, the fake Razor and the fake Diesel. Yep. Um, I don't, honest to God, other than him being, I don't even know if I have ever seen a big Titan match to be honest with you, from Japan. Um, but that was his two gimmicks. He was Big Titan in Japan, and then he was the fake Razor in the WWF. And then um, Ashley Massaro also passed away at 39 years old this past year. Um, some of you may remember, she was a, a, a... Did she win the Diva Search? I believe so. Okay. And, then, and she and was he, a very beautiful woman very beautiful woman and actually you know what not a terrible it, it was that era for divas wrestling but she out yeah. of the bunch she wasn't terrible in the ring either you know and she was yeah. she was a decent promo and yeah so i mean she's not like in the i don't know she, she's, wasn't, she wasn't like christy hemi town like christy hemi was like a once in a lifetime personality out of that thing or mm-hmm. um well maybe not her i'd put her i'd put that I don't want to say anything bad about somebody's passed away, but she'd probably be number three, maybe in the female contingent of people they got out of those type of like diva contests between, and shit between, like that. Between uh, or behind uh, Christy and um, uh, Maria, huh? Maria Canellis. Yeah, I was gonna say, um, why am I not thinking the girl that was paired up with Jamie Noble? Oh, Nydia? Yeah, wasn't she in the Diva Search, too? No, Nydia actually won tough enough. Like, she actually oh. won an athletic competition. Okay. Well, I, I stand corrected. 
Yeah, Maria Canellis like, too, definitely. Maria Canellis like, is uh like she my thing with her is she is a she is a really good performer. They've just given her shit to work with over the years. Yeah. So when she was paired up with Santino, that was awesome. Like that was entertaining yeah. shit. She was really good. And even in that the, the bubble-headed interviewer gimmick, she did a really yeah. good job with that. I haven't liked what they've done with her since she came back. But well, her husband's a talented man too, yeah. and they just they don't utilize them the right way. Not at all. They could have been skipping Sunny. Yeah. If that makes sense. You know, the little little pestering annoying couple I mean they're never going to be in the main event but they're always going to be there in the mid card and I mean I think that could have been the best way suited for them uh, I know we got yeah. we got off topic there but yeah Ashley Massaro passed away last year so that was the only ones that I had listed here I don't know if you have anybody else that you thought of that uh, that was those were the ones I had nope I don't I don't have any all right well then what we will do here is we'll take a break and when we come back, we'll go with our top five segment. Like I said, we're just talking. It's not like most iconic moments or anything like that. It's just moments that... And the funny thing about it is... <laughs> I'm looking at my list. Every single thing on my list happened between 1990 and 1994. So anyway, um, that'll be coming up right after the break. We'll be right back with more of the We Can't Wrestle podcast. All right, wrestling fans, welcome back to the We Can't Wrestle podcast. Nate and Aaron here with you. And coming up in our next segment, we're going to talk about just some moments that stick in our head in professional wrestling as fans. Um, and before we do that, of course, this is the point in the show where I'll give some shameless plugs. First of all, if you didn't, if you missed the announcement, um, we are going to be doing a second version of the show that is going to be a live streaming version uh, starting on the 12th of this month, which will be this upcoming Sunday. Um, where we're going to do an hour live. It'll be in the Facebook group. It'll be on the Facebook page. Um, talking about the modern product. Um, I'm really excited for that. It's actually going to be a live streaming video version of the show. So we are really... And if our ex- little preview... If our, I'm sorry. No, it's all right. I mean, and if our little preview last night was any, you know, indication on how it's going to go, it should be pretty successful. Yeah fan interaction you can comment um so i'm pretty excited about that and also speaking of the facebook group if you have not yet go ahead and and uh, join our facebook group it is growing and i appreciate everybody that's in it and that has been participating um so 2020 is going to be a big year for the we can't wrestle podcast that being said aaron speaking of the facebook group before we get into our top five you had put a uh, <coughs> post out earlier today to some of our listen to our listeners that are in the Facebook group. If they had any questions they wanted to ask us, and uh, I, did you get any responses on that? Yeah, um, I got one that I don't know the answer to. One that I'm just now trying to get back into the modern era, so I might just let you field the answer. Okay. And then I have one that we both 
probably all have an answer to, and mine's pretty simple. But uh, the first one was from Eric J. Lund, and it says, What's up with Necro Butcher? He does not look well. Have you seen the picture? Yes. I don't know what's wrong with him. <laughs> I think it's uh, it's just a matter of he's old now, and obviously his ring style did not take care of his body. Yes. And could not have been good for his health. Um, so, I mean, that's really all basically, I got. Like, <laughs> Basically, that's what you look like when you turn 75 <laughs> and you let somebody run you over with a lawnmower for 40 years. Yeah, that's 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 exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> if you have if you have that many uh, pieces of glass and dollar bills stapled to your body uh, for twenty years, you're probably not going to look too good. <laughs> so anybody doing it now? Yeah, there's your future. And from what everything I hear, Necrobitcher is a great guy and a very intelligent human being. Didn't he used to be like a professor or something? Yes, and actually, actually, from some of the shoot interviews that I've seen... A decent wrestler? Yeah, if he wanted to wrestle, he could have been a decent wrestler. Um, But he chose that other path, and now that's what we got. He looks like, uh... He looks like he's dying. (laughs) A chewed piece of (laughs) bubblegum. Or, um... You know that, like, whitey... Like, like rubbery part of the bacon fat. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. So basically, don't do that to yourself. <laughs> Especially if you can work, for Christ's sake. Yeah, they should just hire him. They should just hire him in the WWE, the Performance Center. Just like stick him in the corner. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is what will happen. Yeah, Triple H could be like, you don't listen to Norman Smiley, you wind up like Necro Butcher. <laughs> Hi, guys. <laughs> Smoke, hey. Smoking a palm wall. <laughs> so, In the corner. Next question? Um, where is that? Sorry. Um, this is John... Martin Jr. asked, um, and this is the one where it was good for you. So my question is this. Would it be best to split up the Undisputed Era or keep them as a stable or even drop Adam Cole and have Finn Balor become their leader? Like, I think he means maybe having them turn on Adam Cole and just take Finn, or I think he's Prince Balor now, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Have, have basically have Balor become their leader is from what I'm understanding. I would say absolutely not. Because to me, and, and I would not, not even add anybody to the Undisputed Era. Uh, period. And here's why I say this. Because I, 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 I liken it to the magic of the first six to seven months of the NWO. When you had just Hogan, Hall, Nash what, six and Big Show. And then you you start switching things around and you water it down. Or like the later versions of the Horsemen where they kept rotating guys in and out of the Horsemen. I think when you start a faction like that, that faction, when that fa- when those guys, and, and I think that, I think, you know, we, we talked in the last episode, you weren't there for the, 
the second part of the show, Aaron, you had to bow out, but um, we had talked about even before you left, we did my um, top 10 guys of the, of the 2010s, and one of my guys was Adam Cole. And, and then Kyle and I later on talked about guys we think are going to be the biggest stars in wrestling in the next decade, and I picked Adam Cole. Adam Cole is the future of wrestling to me. Adam Cole and Drew McIntyre. And Adam Cole is like Shawn Michaels, where I think he fits as a both a babyface and a heel. And I'm going to get to my point here. I'm being long-winded. But to me, the Undisputed Era is... It should stay those four guys. And when it's time to break them up, the other three do turn on Adam Cole. Because he, he needs to be the babyface that emerges. And then he, with a couple of other guys, feuds with those three. And then they split up. Don't mess with it. You know what I mean? Leave it as it is. It's great. Don't fucking mess with it, because that's what killed the NWO. They messed with it. And you lose that magic. So no, in no way, shape, or form do I think that they should take Adam out of the the, uh, the Undisputed Era and insert anyone else in. If anything, um, Balor should have his own faction. You know? Um, yeah. And that's that's just my opinion on it. Um, what do I know? I'm not getting paid to be a booker, but that would be my thing. To me, when 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 Adam Cole is out of the undisputed era, um, eventually, once that the feud burns out afterward, everybody goes their separate ways, and you're done with it because it's it's not going to get better than it is. There's a reason that it's so over, and it's because those four guys fit very well together. So. Uh-huh. And the last question is from Ashley J. Smith. And his quest, the question is, what can be done to improve AEW? And I have, I have said this like a broken record on the show every time we talk about AEW. I think that the one thing, the one thing that could make that company better, the one thing that could, that could make that show so it does not lose my interest every single week like it does now is one guy one head honcho they 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 they're like wcw during the times of the booking committees there's too many cooks in the kitchen which makes the show frantic and it has no focus i don't know who cody's feuding with because cody's in seven different feuds because there's seven different people writing the fucking show. That's confusing. And it's not engaging. And the only other thing I would say is they need to have more more promos. They need to have more consistent... MJF should be on every show. MJF shouldn't be on... He shouldn't be the hottest heel in the company and not be on every show. Um, the show is so, the show has too many personalities, I guess is what I'm saying in the long run. And the matches are too long. I want to watch long matches on pay-per-view. I don't want to watch long matches on TV. That's one of the things people shit on Raw about, is that, oh, every Raw show has this long-ass, you know, 20-minute six-man tag match or whatever. That's one of the, it's boring. That's one of the people, the people, one of the things that people have shit on Raw about for years, and AEW does it, and okay, it's okay. So, I mean, that's to me, that's the biggest thing, is they need to get focused. Because they have potential. There's no doubt they have potential. The first couple shows are really good. But it's just they've lost the focus, and I think that's because there's too many cooks in the kitchen. That's my opinion. All right. I mean, I agree with the 
the one voice thing. I was going to say that, but he said something that he said they have too much. They have too many personalities. I don't think they have enough personalities. Because to me, a personality is something that gives me a reason to want to care about somebody, and I don't know anything about MJF. Oh, I get, I get no. No, 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 we agree on that. I guess what I was saying was it has multiple personalities and that the booking has multiple personalities. Okay. Yeah, no, okay. no. Uh, yeah, the, I agree with you. Yes, we're in agreement there, what you're saying. I don't have any idea why Cody Rhodes and MJF were friends. Right. Like, last I knew, they weren't ever in, like, a company together until they showed up in AEW because I don't think Cody Rhodes was in MLW, was he? Nope. And that's where MJF was before he went to AEW, right? Yes. Okay, so then just all of a sudden they're best friends? Like, when did they meet? Right. <laughs> you gave me no story, and, and you... Yeah. And it's not like, like they, if they, they would have... Simply, they could have simply said that um, since Cody Rhodes was the son, son of Dusty Rhodes, obviously he was somewhat privileged, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whatever, and Dust, Dusty had sent him to a nice school, but Cody was not necessarily, you know, a snobby kid at the nice school. He was just he had a dad that could afford to send him there, you know. Right. And for some reason, this this common kid became friends with like this snobby ass kid. That nobody else liked, but for some reason, Cody just thought he was funny. You know what I mean? Like yep. he's just everybody Every, has that. Everybody friend has that friend <laughs> that nobody else likes, but you're just like, I just like the guy. You know? Mm-hmm. In some way, and sometimes I'm that friend to people. You know what I mean? <laughs> <clears throat> so, not saying I'm a snob, but there's people that don't like me, and then I have friends, and they're like, I don't know why you're friends with that guy. But anyway. That that could have just been a natural story that they told, and and, and it and I, it doesn't need to be over the top. It doesn't need to be outlandish, mm-hmm. you know. And then okay, now twenty years later, this guy turns his back on his 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 boarding school or high school friend. That's a story. And not, I don't know why. I don't know why they were friends. Not only that, you could have. You could have. If they would have just paced themselves and told that story over six months instead of over three weeks, you know, like every once in a while, every couple of weeks, have those two have an interaction backstage, you know, damn, damn, Maxwell, why'd you do that? You know me, man. You know what I mean? Like, and then, and then, and then get into the story where MJF starts helping Cody and then have MJF turn on Cody. Like you said, they gave me no reason to get invested in that story. And then on top of that, coming out of it, they put Cody in like four different other stories. So it's not even important. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's just to me, it's the booking. It's the it's the too many voices in the booking. There's not that. And I'm not saying you don't have multiple people booking. Or teach me about teach me about the Lucha Brothers. Right. I know nothing about the Lucha Brothers. Are they really brothers? Or are they just Mexican guys that like each other? They're brothers. I'm, I mean, I'm being serious there. Are they really brothers? Yes. Okay. Well, that's... Okay, that's something. They're brothers. 
okay? But, um... WCW, okay, knew that they had all these luchadors they were bringing in, right? Mm-hmm. And that nobody, I shouldn't say nobody, 99% of their audience was going to have no idea who these guys were or what they were about or what they were doing. You know what I mean? Right. So for like four weeks, they had Mike today go on TV and be like, first, I'm going to tell you about the history of Lucha Libre. This is what Lucha Libre is. Now, I'm going to tell you about all these different little personalities that we have in Lucha Libre. You know, they didn't have, they didn't have an individual segment for each guy, but they were like, this is La Parca, and this is Psychosis, and this is this guy. And they'd have, they'd have him say like a little 20 minute promo or something. Right. You know, he was, why are he they was... all wearing the masks? This is why they're wearing the masks. And then and they waited till the end, and then they did, like, you know, a actual report about Rey Mysterio. Because guess what? He's our number one luchador. So you've met all the other little minor characters. Now here's the big character. Well, teach me, and, and, and why is he Rey Mysterio Jr.? Well, his uncle was Rey Mysterio Sr., and now he's given him the mask, and that's like a thing that we do down here. I'm not saying you need to explain all of that, because we already know all of that. But tell me why the Lucha Brothers are important. Right. And that, Mike Tanay was so important to that Lucha division. Yeah. You know, just from, I mean, it was it was such a smart move to, to hire him, have him tell those stories, and then... Whenever there was a Lucha match, have Mike Tanay there with Dusty, with Tony, with Bobby. Because uh, Dusty, Tony, and Bobby didn't know what the fuck was going on. <laughs> you know, have, have, and, and they did it so well because they would have Tony or Bobby or Dusty ask Mike, okay, why is this the thing? Why, what's this guy's story? Just, it was, yeah. Like, like, everything, everything I understand, like that, Al, that, Alec, Marve, that Alex Marvez guy mm-hmm. did terrible on commentary. But from everything I hear, that guy is like a research machine. Right. Okay, and, and he basically prepares all the shit for these guys, for Tony and Jim Ross. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because I've heard Tony Schiavone talk about how, like, a lot of the shit that, like, the information he gets, he gets from Marvez. So why not let, even, like, just let Alex Marvez sit with them? <laughs> not even sit with them, but, like, do that. Right. You're like, hey, let's go to this personality profile of the Lucha Brothers with Alex Alex Marvez. And Alex Marvez can tell me about the Lucha Brothers. Right. Or he can tell me about Jungle Boy. Or he can tell me about Luchasaurus. Uh-huh. Tell, me, tell me why I should give a fuck about these people. Because I don't know who half of them are. And that comes down to it, just storytelling. And that's that's the biggest issue, I think, with AEW right now. So, Ashley, I hope we answered your question as to what AEW could do better. All right, so now we are going to roll into these top fives. Just wrestling moments that stick in our heads. Aaron, do you want to start or do you want me to start? doesn't matter to me. It's the Roaring Twenties, baby. It's free <laughs> spirit. Do whatever you got to do. Yeah, see? Yeah. Well, my, okay, I'll do my first one. 
It's uh, I'm on the giggle water. I don't care what we do. <laughs> my first my first memory that always sticks with me comes up in my head a lot of times as a wrestling fan is from it's from SummerSlam 1992. We are in England and here it is. gonna win whether he wants to or not <laughs> why would he not want to win kid <laughs> well he was on cocaine he had no idea what was going on <laughs> that just that that's that's always like to me i every time i see that i do not not laugh that's hilarious <laughs> to me the british bulldog is gonna win whether he wants to or not <laughs> Yeah, there's that. <laughs> oh, I figured out something we're going to do after this. All right. We're going to go over some Roaring Twenties catchphrases. catchphrases I mean, it's, 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 it's time. I mean, look how long we've been doing this. How long? For three years now. Going on three and years how, in March. And how long has... Tootsie been our theme? Yes. For at least two years. It's our time, man. <laughs> Wait a minute, I tell you. Yeah, yeah. Now you're on the trolley. <laughs> so we're gonna do we're gonna do this. All right. The I'll go with the next. Uh, sorry, I was grabbing my pen. Um, I'm gonna go with this one. I'm gonna go with Hulk Hogan suplexing the big boss man off of the steel cage on Saturday night's main event. An amazing moment. Like, like we were just talking earlier about the Harley race Hulk Hogan match. That big boss man cage match is also one of the best Hulk Hogan matches ever. Yes. Those and it's also guys, one of the best boss man matches. ever. Yes. Those two guys were made to work together. Like there was just something, <coughs> there was just something in Hogan and Ray trailers DNA that, they were made to they were made to, to be opponents in the ring, and then later on, when when Trailer turned babyface, they were made to be partners. But anyway, you're right. That is that is a fantastic. I don't think moment. understand the awesomeness of that. <laughs> like this wasn't like you know, like Big Boss Man at like like SummerSlam '91. Where he was in the jailhouse match with um, Mounty, right. you know what I mean, or his match with with when he like when he was feuding with Mister Perfect. This wasn't like three hundred and ten pound big boss man. No, this was this almost was big Bubba Rogers, like four hundred and twenty pound big boss man, and this wasn't like. Post gas Hulk Hogan. This was like three hundred and forty pound Hulk Hogan. Puffy Hogan. And they <laughs> they did a fucking superplex off of the big blue steel cage. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. And again, like you said, I mean, it's an it's an it's just an iconic moment um, that sticks in your head. People talk about what's that? It's that. It, it's like. They show all this stuff like on like 
like the was now forever or whatever, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Those videos and stuff. But that's not something that gets shown. Mm-mm. And I don't know why. The um the next one for me, and it's funny because out of the three of us, me, Aaron, and Kyle, hindsight twenty twenty, I tend to hate on ECW a lot in the show, and I was never a gigantic fan of ECW after 96-ish. Um, 95 is definitely ECW's best year with the McFoley stuff and all that, but I, I, won't, I won't go on and on and on because we're talking about the moment. But one of the moments that sticks out for me in my head, because at the time when I saw it, it's what made me think, what is this ECW thing? This is crazy. Is the uh, the night that the the ECW fans in the arena filled the ring with chairs? That's oh, a, that. that Terry Funk and yes. down the Public Enemy in them. Yes, that's an amazingly, an amazingly shot moment. In that, to me, that's the that to me that's the the first moment that ECW resonated in my mind because the cameras are so you know the, the look is so gritty. And, yeah. and, and just this one isolated moment by itself, what it makes you think is, what the fuck is going on? You know, now, in 2020, with everything that's happened since, someone that didn't live through that time probably couldn't understand that. But at that time, as a wrestling fan, that was fucking nuts. <laughs> There's also the the crazy footage of when they collapsed the ring. Mm-hmm. When they just got all the people in the ring and it collapsed. Yeah, ECW man, I know you you, you don't like it or whatever. And and I don't hold, I don't hate ECW. I just to me ECW is 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 only good. To me ECW is only good for like two years. ECW is good in '94 and '95, and after that I kind of lose interest. And not that it didn't have good moments in the re- you know what I mean, but as a pro- yeah. as, as a promotion as a whole, it, it for those two years I think it's great, and then after that it loses my interest a little bit, and it's kind of overrated. I can, I can dig it, but like I said, there's moments in there that it's kind of like this, like to me a moment that I think about sometimes. And wrestling is when Raven was crucified and Tommy just nailed him, or you know what I mean? Yeah. On the like cage. cracked him with the chair. Yeah, he was, hand, he was handcuffed to the cage. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's just a moment I think about. But, you got anything else on your. But that, on the... that, that speaks to Polly. I was just going to say it speaks to Polly because Paul Heyman, to me, one of Paul Heyman's greatest attributes is Paul Heyman, like Vince, that's where him and Vince, I think, share a common genius. Paul Heyman was good, as good as at Vince as creating moments. You know, yeah. maybe, maybe the whole, the, maybe the show as a whole was butt, but you're not going to remember the show as whole was butt. <laughs> it was butthole <laughs> because you're going to go, man, that moment, that Kimono one Aaliyah yeah. danced, and that was because the show was <laughs> in chaos. Like the moment Kimono one Aaliyah danced atop the ECW oh, arena, the ring broke. Yeah. Thing. So it was even, you know, and that's genius. Polly thought to say, take our hot Asian chick (laughs) 
and have her go out there and do a fucking strip tease while we get this shit fixed so these people aren't getting restless in this hot ass ECW arena. Yeah. But yeah, I, I just I think I think that creating moments is something that I don't know if anybody's better at that in wrestling history than Vince and Paul Heyman. So I, I, yeah, I'm done with that. That's good. We're good. Okay. Um, and I didn't say that none of these weren't going to be iconic moments. I was just I wrote down five quickly that just pop into my head. Yeah. And um, so the next one on my list is um, when Hogan turned. Mm-hmm. I know. I I know. I said, oh, this isn't going to be all iconic moment. I was just saying, like. These are things that resonate to me that I think about, not on a daily basis, but when I'm like, huh, like a wrestling idea or a wrestling thought just pops into my head. I still vividly remember Hulk Hogan turning heel because as a kid, I was like, what the fuck? Like, it's like how I was saying about Mean Gene Okerlund. Like, Mean Gene Okerlund had always been in my wrestling life. You know what I mean? And by 1996... Even before 1996, any wrestling was fake. But Hulk Hogan was always the good, the guy. good guy. Right. There's two things that are that are because you know as you, over the years you watch something multiple times. Like um, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I may have mentioned on the show before, but so I've watched every one of those movies, every one of the shows, everything. Honest to God, in my life, probably a hundred times. So as you, as you watch things over and over again, or you watch movies, or you watch entertainment, you start to notice the little subtle things, you know, because you don't have to pay attention to the story anymore. <laughs> you already know the story. Um, so there's two things that the last that that that's, that really stick out for me with that moment, and the first is how good is Hulk Hogan in that in that when he comes out, his face is a baby face. And when he leg drops Randy Savage, the subtle change of his facial expression. You know what I mean? He literally goes from the nicest guy you've ever met to the biggest fucking dick you've ever met. And he does it so well. The other thing is, to me, that moment is the culmination of the 11-year feud between Bobby Heenan and Hulk Hogan. Because Bobby Heenan gets to say, I have been telling you people about this guy for yeah. 10 years. And no one would listen. <laughs> and the one guy that hated him for years, and then the one guy that has supported him for years has to stand there and interview him about it. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. Great, great moment. Um, sticks in your crawl, if you will. The next one that I have is a little obscure, I guess. Um, it, it, it's it, 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 but it always sticks in my head, and um, I'll I'll get to my point here. But in 1990, when Crush had been added to Demolition, leading into the Survivor Series of '90, apparently, on you know at TV tapings and stuff, they were trying out this new thing where Demolition was wearing these full face masks. And in the in the in the promo pictures leading up to Survivor Series '90, when they're going to team with Mr. Perfect, they were actually pictured wearing those masks. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. They never wore them 
on a televised match. Um, and then very shortly after that, Bill Eadie left, and Crush and Smash were just demolition, and they kind of got jobbed out and went away. But to me, that image of them in those masks always stuck out. Like, I was like, oh, are there any matches with them wearing those masks? They look fucking cool. So then, eventually, I don't buy wrestling DVDs anymore because I have the network. I have a huge wrestling DVD collection from pre-network days. But I don't buy DVDs anymore, you know? Just because, or Blu-rays or whatever. But I bought the uh, the WWE Unleashed, or Unreleased DVD set. Because I saw that they actually had a match on there with LOD that was never released for TV. That is um, with Demolition with those masks on. That's the whole reason I bought the DVD set. So I got to finally see a match with Demolition. But that moment, or that, that image to me of them with those masks, since I was a kid, has stuck out to me. Like, I never got to see them wrestle in those masks. And then now I finally did. Another funny thing about that, and we'll move on. I know it was a silly memory, but anyway... Um, another funny thing about that is they actually have, um, on the unreleased thing, they have, um, tryout matches. Yeah. For a few guys like Crush, like he wrestles as Brian Adams or whatever. But anyway, they have, uh, the tryout match for, uh, Earthquake. And he's wrestling as Earthquake Evans, okay? And he's wearing, like, he's wearing, like, pants and a, a button-up shirt. Like, the shit that he wore when he did the, the push-up thing with Warrior... Yeah. But here's the best part. When he comes out, you guess who his manager is? When he comes out, it's like, burner, <laughs> And he comes that's, out with slick. slick. Yeah, and it's Jive Soul, bro. The Jive Soul, bro. <laughs> and it's Earthquake Evans with the Doctor of Style slick. <laughs> like, what could have been? <laughs> yes. Yeah, anyway, that was uh, that. I actually, I I want to loan you that DVD set sometime so you can watch it because there's some neat shit on there. But anyway, right. move on to your number three. Uh, we're gonna go with, and I've talked about this quite a few times, but it's it's my it's my favorite thing. Like to watch, like I could just go and watch. It. I could watch this every single day and be entertained by it. And it's Jerry Lawler slapping Andy Kaufman on David Letterman. <laughs> it is great. It's iconic. It's it's um it's it's funny. It's three of the greatest entertainers ever on one stage. Jerry Lawler, who's, and, one, who's one of the greatest professional wrestlers ever, personality. You know, J- people can say what they want. You think you think about the greatest ever in wrestling? Jerry Lawler's up there. Andy Kaufman, funny as fuck. David Letterman, it was great. Yep, <laughs> and it's it might be the most it might be the most believable thing that's ever happened in professional wrestling. Uh-huh. <laughs> because they they fooled everybody. It, yeah, it looks like chaos. Yes, and it was it's 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 my favorite thing. It's it's I love it. It's not on. Love it. It's not on my list, but you, you reminded me by mentioning that we've both talked about this one before. Fucking Andy Kaufman doing jambalaya and Fred Blassie's reaction. Oh yeah. <laughs> God, God, it's so good. We <laughs> come back, and David Letterman's like, "That was the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life." 
that's one of the things I could watch every day. Honest to God, I could watch that every day too. Watching Blassie react to fucking Kaufman singing that song is one of the like I never don't laugh at that. You know what I mean? Like it's never not gonna be funny. Yeah. And and Andy Kaufman would not. Um, the only time he would laugh, the only time he would laugh at his own stuff is if it was on purpose, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. He would laugh at his own stuff to be obnoxious and piss people off, you know? But he does not purposely laugh when he's doing jambalaya. Right. Like, he laughs at the fact that Freddie Glass is looking at him like that. <laughs> Because if you notice, he doesn't. It's not in a s- 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 uh, um, sustained yeah. laugh. Yeah, he looks over at Blassie and it's like, oh, yeah, that's funny. Looking at him <laughs> like, what the fuck? That's fucking funny. <laughs> and you know, that's exactly what he thought. He's like, God damn, that's fucking funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, definitely the uh, the Lawler slap is uh, like you said. It's the most real. It's the most. Uh, Anything that wasn't actually a shoot, it's the most real moment in wrestling. Yeah, and then the other the other Letterman wrestling related thing that I could watch, maybe not every day, but on a weekly basis, is Baby New Year with Vince McMahon. <laughs> that is, that's good too. <laughs> Vince, is that your suit? No, I rented it. <laughs> <laughs> he pops Letterman. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's just all kinds of good stuff in that thing, but. (laughs) All right, so now my number two on the list is the entire paper, the entire pay-per-view, the entire (laughs) pay-per-view of Halloween Havoc 1990. At that time, I was probably 11, 12 years old. That pay-per-view looked different, felt different than anything else I'd ever seen. I don't know if this is going to make any sense, but you know, you had like no. the, the orange ropes, and and that is like from my childhood. The, like a lot of people would probably reference like the Black Scorpion stuff and stuff like that, but to me, from my childhood. That's that's the moment in time that sticks out to mo- to me most about WCW. Like when I think about WCW when I was a kid, I think about Lex Luger versus Stan Hansen. I think about the, the Steiners and the Nasties, and I think about Sting and Sid Vicious leading up to that Halloween Havoc. Like to me, that's one of the most like me. A lot of people would say what, but in my brain, that's an iconic pay per view. I don't know why, and it's a really good card. And just like yeah. I said, it just looks different, feels different. Um, as a WWF kid, you know, and then being starting to watch WCW or whatever, just had the entire pay-per-view of Halloween Havoc to me is one of my wrestling memories. And it's a really fucking good pay-per-view, too. Like, going back and watching it now, like, damn, this is a good show. <laughs> yeah, the Steiners and the Nasty Boys fuck each other up. It's mm-hmm. good shit. Luger and Hanson, like Hanson, the feud with Hanson is my favorite Lex Luger stuff. There's a lot of Lex Luger stuff, but to me, to my mind, 
the Luger and Hanson is my favorite. I know a lot of people would say Luger and Flair, or even that, that Luger Steamboat stuff, and that's all great. But just for me, for my wrestling memories, Luger Hanson, like I, I, I pair those two guys up in my brain, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't, not a lot else to say about it, but just like I said, that pay per view sticks in my, my wrestling memories. All right. Um, the next thing on my list is um, it's another WCW thing, but it's um, Ric Flair returning in 1998. So it would have been technic on the exact date was September, um, sorry, September 14th, 1998. Mm-hmm. Ric Flair returns to WCW. Arn Anderson bringing out the Horseman. What a goof! What a goof! Yeah. <laughs> And Flair and Bischoff just—they just both of them just bring it, man. Like they let re, like <clears throat> people can say what they want to say about Eric Bischoff, and there's people that are friends of this show that completely hate Eric Bischoff, but he he worked that one, you know. Like I don't want to say worked that one, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like. He knew. Okay, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go with this. It was all. It's almost like Vince rolling with just being the shit, the piece of shit Vince McMahon. Yeah, it, it's actually Ric Flair and Eric Bischoff is the real life Vince McMahon versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. You <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> And then Flair comes up. And also, I will say this. I don't know. And it could be, honestly, it could be because, you know, when Goldberg won the title from Hogan, it was in that uh, the Georgia Dome. It could be because the Sting-Hogan match that was the culmination of that was a bit of a letdown. Is Not NWA, but when Flair comes back in 98 to WCW, is there ever a bigger pop than Flair returning in 98 for WCW? Is there ever a bigger WCW pop than that moment, like that crowd? Oh. And it's not because it was in a big arena or it was kind of a letdown. It's because it's the coolest fucking moment in WCW history. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and it is. And it is. It is the Fire sign me. I'm that, already fired. That, that any WCW, I, I don't understand why anybody after the Crockett's were just like, we don't want Ric Flair. <laughs> Ric Flair's old news. We don't want him around. Yeah, because every time he's on one of your shows, he's the most popular guy. <laughs> and people fucking, fucking lose their minds. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, it's it's going to sound silly, or it might be stupid how I say it or whatever, but what happened to Ric Flair is, like, the same thing, but just flipped as what they tried to do, like, with Roman Reigns. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't want Roman Reigns. Make him go away. And they were like, yes, you do want him. <laughs> Take him. And then they were like, we want Ric Flair. 
No, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> you don't want no Ric Flair. You want. You want more of the stale ass NWO shit. <laughs> or you know, you know want no Ric Flair. You want Lex Luger. <laughs> no, we don't. <sighs> we don't dislike Lex Luger, but we want more Ric Flair. No. No, you, you don't. Take Lex Luger. <laughs> it's like Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> like that company just—he should have just been the guy the entire time. You know what I mean? Like, but anyway. So number one for me, or I guess not number one, but the... honestly, you know what's funny? What's Sorry, no, you're, you're good. Like. In the modern WCW era, you know who had like the two greatest pops? One would be Pops, Ric Flair, <laughs> and the and and the only one that would be like somewhat like close is Dean Malenko. Oh yeah, the Seco play thing. Took off his hood and showed that, that he was C- I think that, that was Seco play. I think that was Slamboree '98, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, that fucking crowd's like, yeah, Jericho's about to get his! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that speaks yeah. to the testament of both Jericho and Malenko. You know, yeah. they they built, they that is one, that's one of the greatest, like, and again, I'm not taking, talking NWA, we're just talking when it was called WCW, that's one of the greatest feuds in WCW, that the entirety yeah. of that company. That's, that's one of, to me, that's one of the most entertaining things they ever did. And it's because they just let those guys, you know, it's funny because that stuff that literally the, the, you know, that's probably one of those things Eric Bischoff wasn't even involved in, you know, like that was just something that happened because they weren't paying attention. We're not paying attention. Sullivan told these guys to have a feud and Chris Jericho went out there and Dean Malenko was honestly off for a little bit. So he kind of had a feud with himself. Yeah. For half of it. <laughs> um, his dad, Bo- Bo- I, the unfortunate passing of Boris Malenko. Boris. <laughs> Boris Malenko. <sighs> That's good stuff. That's good oh, stuff. yeah. Um, Go ahead. So the next, the last one on my list, to me, to my mind... It sticks in my mind, and um, as as we've talked about on the show before, as we as we grow older and we we look back on things, our favorite wrestlers change. And my favorite wrestler, number one, and he's still in my top five. He's still in my top three. My favorite wrestler for the longest time was Shawn Michaels, and I love Shawn Michaels. And Shawn Michaels is is without a doubt um, wrestling perfection. However. As time has gone on, I have realized that in reality, my favorite wrestler is Randy Savage. And something that sticks in my mind is, to me, the, the one of the most real feeling wrestling promos I've ever seen. And it is Randy Savage's promo after his match with Ric Flair at WrestleMania 8. Is there a more intense promo? The wild eyes. The, you know, he's like ripping his tights. 
the line, you haven't been beat up properly yet. You put your hands on my wife, you son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. That that promo is, I mean, probably other than probably other than than some of the Dusty promos, because Dusty's my favorite promo ever. But that Savage promo to me is the most real feeling. Even even more re- real feeling than the Hard Times promo. Dusty's Hard Times promo is hard to beat, but I think Randy Savage's post WrestleMania eight match is the most real. F- He's so good in uh, two minutes. You know, two minutes of the most intense, and maybe it's because he really was a psycho. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. kind of, it's kind of like Piper, you know. It's like that guy was good because he was not putting on a fucking act. <laughs> but I mean that promo um it's just it's to me it's iconic. It's it's fucking amazing. I love that promo. I can dig it. Oh man, the, his eyes. Like I don't I don't know if I've ever seen Randy Savage's eyes with a more wild look. You know what I mean? Like that guy looks like he is about to go off. <laughs> uh, and that line's great. You haven't been beat up properly yet. Is one of the best lines ever spoken in any form of entertainment ever. Right. Especially since the guy was like all bloody. And... Yeah, yeah, you're bloodied and you've lost a tooth or whatever and shit. You still and, haven't and, been beat up properly yet. <laughs> and, my, and my old lady slapped you around and the manager got bumped and yeah, you, you still ain't been beat up properly yet. <laughs> I love, fucking love that shit. <laughs> so I mean, there's not a lot more to say about it. I just, like, to me, it needs a mention because it's 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 one of my favorites. Okay, and I saved my last one for my most random one. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Super random, and it was on a Monday Night Raw from from October twenty eighth, nineteen ninety six. Okay. And it is a, um, you know, when they would do those, like, face-to-face interviews or whatever, but yes. they would be on each camera? Uh-huh. You know? Well, this is Bret Hart and Steve Austin. Bret Hart's in Calgary. Steve Austin's at the studio. And Steve Austin is pissed off because he's supposed to be being, he's supposed to have this, this face-to-face, on-camera, whatever, interview with Brett. And it keeps getting delayed. And and Steve is just at the studio, just uh, cooped up. And he's getting more he's pissed. Huh? He's brewing and stewing? <laughs> yeah. And then it finally happens. And, like, like, he'll say something. And Brett won't say anything back right away. And, and... It's because Brett's selling it like it's like a time delay thing, you know, because mm-hmm. he's in Canada or whatever. But like Steve Austin, will be like, and that's why I'm gonna get you, son. And like Brett's like sitting there looking at the camera, and Steve's like, "Well, say something, you jackass," you know. Like like Brett's not saying something back right away, so he's getting mad, and and it, it's just, um. 1996 Steve Austin might be the greatest thing ever. Or definitely up there. 
I mean, he it's 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 my favorite version of Stone Cold. Mm-hmm. And in nineteen ninety six, okay, Steve Austin, like Stone Cold Steve Austin and Hollywood Hogan were like the best heels. Okay? And they were like the last like true heels. Right. Like in ninety six, Steve Austin was doing nothing to try to make fans cheer him. Steve Austin was doing everything he possibly could to make people hate him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I know Steve Austin became the biggest baby face that's ever existed, but the Steve, if you watch 1996, it is readily available. It is like, you can tell that Steve Williams' demand did not want to be a baby face at all. Steve Austin would call... And, and, and this is something that I've thought about for a while. And they, the two characters, the two, I guess, personas are not the same. And I'm not going to say David Schultz. The two characters are not the same in any, I guess, in the presentation of them. Because one's more flamboyant and one is more like a, a blue collar. However, there are amazing similarities between the, 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 the character of Stone Cold Steve Austin and the character of Classy Freddie Blassie. Because the heel Stone Cold Steve Austin would call a fan a big fat piece of trash. <laughs> you big fat piece of trash. And then the heel Freddie Blassie would call a fan a pencil neck geek. Do you see what I'm saying? Like like those okay. those two both made their made their impact by Steve being Austin. by being by being oh. by being complete shit talkers but then going into the ring and backing it up 100%. Yeah, am I am I off? Austin. Like am I off in that they're very similar? But, but Steve Austin wouldn't even just and Fred Blassie as well. Like wouldn't even just Call his fans big fat. He just call whoever he's wrestling big, big, <laughs> big fat piece of trash. <laughs> like if you put an S in front of Hitman. <laughs> like one of the greatest, and I wish I could find it. One of the greatest, like one hour produced things WWF ever did. Was in 1996. They made a video cassette called "Cause Stone Cold Said So." I I will let you borrow that. I have it on DVD. And it is just Steve Austin for an hour <laughs> in front of a green screen, just talking shit. I love it when he's when he he does the segment about the '97 Royal Rumble, and he, tell, yeah, no, he, he tells you, you, you big smelly piece of yeah, he, he tells you what he's telling Phineas in the ring when he's talking. Yeah, no, I I totally have that yeah, on. I totally have that smelly piece of trash. <laughs> and he's like, I don't come out here dancing and. Twirl around from a bunch of sparklers and shit. Yeah, you know, it's like WWE yeah. did probably. I'd say, oh god, it was probably fifteen years ago. 
they took a lot of those um, Coliseum videos or whatever, those WWF home videos from 96 that they did, and they put them on, they, they reissued them as DVDs, like the Aust that Austin one and the, the Undertaker's Gravest Challenges and stuff like that. And I bought a bunch of those then, so I'll try to dig that up so I can let you borrow yeah, so that, you can check that, it that's, out. That's hands down one of the greatest videos ever made. Uh -huh. And Steve Austin, after he, like, you know, became, like, you know, somewhat of a fan favorite and then won the belt. And that's the stuff that gets, like, you know, widely shown, which it should. Right. You know. But any fans that might be younger and all they see is Stone Cold Steve Austin from, like, <laughs> 1998 to, what, 2002? 2003-ish. 2003 that's a, that that's an amazing stone cold steve austin but that is a and i know it sounds insane to say it but that is a nicer more watered down version of stone cold steve austin absolutely you need to watch steve I, austin you need to watch steve austin from probably um from his feud with savio vega in the spring of 96 until he wins the tag belt with Sean. Yes. Yes. And and that's even that's even I mean I we we've done we've talked about it multiple times in the show. We did our top ten feuds ever. My favorite rivalry ever is Steve Austin and Hart Foundation, and he was babyface then, but Aaron's correct. Like you watch that early Stone Cold shit, you will not be disappointed. He is the biggest asshole in professional wrestling history. <laughs> Him and Blassie. Him, Blassie, and Heenan. <laughs> it's fantastic. But that's my last one. And then I need to take a break. And then if you want to do these 20s things, we can. All right, we will. Uh... So to round out this episode of the show, since we have now entered the new Roaring 20s, by the way, in the 1820s and the 1920s, there was a plague. So I don't know what's going to happen this year. But anyway. Have you watched wrestling? <laughs> hey -o. Hey -o. Aaron is going to regale us with some, uh, some, some expressions and catchphrases that were popular in the 1920s. And then, uh, of course... In You're going to try to guess them. I'm going to try to guess them, and then we will round out with our our ending theme, which is Mr. Al Jolson, which I think is actually from the 30s, but fuck, who's, who, no. you know, don't ruin a good story with the facts. Not. What? Anyway. It's from the 20s? Yes. Okay. I would Google it right at this moment, but it would take me off of my <laughs> list. And I'm not I'm not one hundred percent used to this twenties technology yet. <laughs> the steam the steam engine? <laughs> yes. Okay, 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 okay. <clears throat> <laughs> that was very Joe Pesci of you. Okay, okay, okay. Listen, listen. That person over there, that person is a bimbo. What are they? They're a bimbo. A chick with big boobs that's probably going to sleep with you. Not in the 20s. Oh. 
in the 20s, a bimbo was the reference to a macho man. Dig it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a bimbo, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. First name bim, last name bo. Check the bim- boots. Bo. Check the ass of the pants. <laughs> bimbo. <laughs> No, um, no confetti. It's a bimbo. <laughs> um, what if I say something is berries? Berries? Berries. I mean, that sounds pleasant, so I would say that <laughs> something is good? Yes. That sounds like berries to me. <laughs> That's something you would say. Every like, one of these I'm picturing in this voice. It sounds like berries yeah, like, to me. Like, like if somebody was like, you want to go get ice cream and then maybe go to the Nickelodeon? And you'd be like, that sounds like berries to me. And then you'd wind up your car for an hour and head on down the road. Let's say goodbye. What if I you look at look at those bubs? What do you think of those bubs? Is it boobs? Yes. <laughs> hey. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. You, you know what would be berries? If he would butt me. Whoa. <laughs> Give you a cigarette? Yep. Good job. Uh, uh, what? I'm, I'm reading some more here. Okay. Um... One person I don't want to butt me though is that uh that cake eater over there. Oh my! <laughs> <laughs> What's a cake eater? Cake eater. Um, like somebody is trying to swindle you? Yeah. No. It started out as a ladies' man, like a pretty guy, like mm. a pretty boy. But turned into something else. Oh my. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically, it's another name for a man that doesn't like doesn't like dames. I'll just say it. I'll just say it that way. <laughs> so Clark Gable was a cake eater. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Clark Gable was a cake eater. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Clark Gable was gay. I'm just saying. I don't think he was. <laughs> I think you just made some shit up that ain't true. Oh, Clark Gable was not gay. <laughs> in the twenties, in instead of he likes the in the twenties, instead of he likes the cock, they said he likes the cake. All right, I got gotcha. you. Ah. <laughs> You really can have your cake and eat it too. <laughs> but I think what you just said about Clark Gable was completely untrue. I'm, I'm slandering Clark Gable long after yeah. his death. All right. I'm going to research that because I know you're wrong. <laughs> well, frankly, uh, frankly, I don't give a damn. Okay. Well, don't take any wooden nickels either. Hmm. Wooden nickels. What does don't take me wooden nickels mean? I know there's a store in Fort Wayne called the Wooden Nickel. 
but I don't know, uh, I don't know what the expression, where it's actually, um, means don't do anything dumb. Okay. Like, if you're, if you had a kid and they were getting ready to go outside, you'd be like, don't take any wooden nickels. Anyway. Dumb Dora. You're just a dumb Dora. I don't know. I can't even guess on that one. It's what they called stupid women in the 20s. <laughs> well, I guess that was obvious, so I didn't guess that. Like, I was like, well, that's too obvious. <laughs> you dumb Dora. This one's easy. What's the giggle water? That's the alcohol. That's right. <laughs> Half seized over. Uh, hungover? Shit face. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it says. Half seized over equals shit faced. So after some further research, Clark Gable wasn't gay. <laughs> but, but Rock Hudson was. So. I know Rock Hudson. Everybody knows Rock Hudson was. Jesus Christ. That might be the, the current quote of 2020 for me. After further research, Clark Gable wasn't gay. <laughs> <laughs> What's next? Uh, Iron One's shoelaces. Uh, I don't understand this. Iron One's shoelaces. Somebody would look at you and say... Excuse me, I have to iron one's shoelaces. Uh, tie your shoes? No. To excuse oneself for the restroom. That makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. It's like when in the 20s when you had to be like, excuse me, like you have to leave a meeting because you have to go shit. You have to be like, excuse me, I have to go iron one's shoelaces. What does I mean, that mean? I mean, if you're ironing your shoelaces, you were taking a hell of a dump. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand what's going on. Um, <laughs> I love this one. Know your onions. Know your onions? Know your onions. Hmm. Mind your business? If you want to be successful, you better know your onions. Hmm. Like, That's to know what's up, what's going on what's around you. Your information, yeah, you're... Yeah, okay. he's trying to get one over on you. Know your onions. <laughs> Looks like you that at work. <laughs> you want some noodle juice? Noodle juice? <laughs> yeah, you want some noodle <laughs> Is that info? Like the info? No, you want some noodle juice? The four one one? No. Trying to give you some noodle juice. <laughs> well, tell me what the <laughs> fuck it is before you give it to me. <laughs> it's just some tea. Oh. That's boring. <laughs> <laughs> noodle juice tea. <laughs> now you're on the trolley. You're with the program? You know yeah, what's going on. You got it right. You know what's going on. Now you're on the trolley. <laughs> oh, oh, but you're off the trolley because you're on a toot. <laughs> on a toot? <laughs> yeah, you, toot. Ain't got, you ain't got a fucking clue what's going on. 
You're on a bender, buddy. <laughs> you are you are drunk as fuck. On the toot. <laughs> you notice like and then there's another that's one. That's usually that's usually how we are by the end of this show. On the toot. Yeah, and then there's another one ossified, which that's drunk. There's like the twenties like there's more expressions for just being completely obliterated than which, anything else. Which proves that when you take something away from people, that's when they're gonna do it the most. Yeah. <laughs> they're just they're just down they're just downing Panther piss. <laughs> which is whiskey, particularly homemade whiskey. <laughs> oh. Oh my. When's the last time you were at the petting pantry? Is that the whorehouse? It's a cinema or movie theater. Oh. <laughs> oh they were just fucking in there. Um, when's the last time you pulled a Daniel Boone? <laughs> After I had Taco Bell? I don't... Pulled a Daniel <laughs> Boone. Is that like, uh... Uh, I don't know. What would that be? That's when you up, Chuck. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know Daniel Boone was associated with vomiting. I didn't either. <clears throat> um, let's see, there's one. <laughs> there's like Zald that's being shit-faced. Like, there's so many. Just, <laughs> For being drunk. Just being drunk. Yeah, and this is the last one we'll do. Tell it to Sweeney. Uh, don't tell me. Tell the the other guy. Tell it to someone who'll buy it. Like, like <laughs> right. if you're trying to be like, if you're trying to be like, look, look, officer, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not on the panther piss. I'm not ossified. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not on a two. I'm not ready to pull a Daniel Boone. And you're all like wobbling around. That's when I'd be the cop. Be like, you know what, buddy? You tell it to Sweetie. Because <laughs> I know you're lying, you son of a I bitch. I know you're lying, you, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you four flushing egg, dumb Dora, get in the back. <laughs> <laughs> you're a bad egg. <laughs> you're a bad egg. Get in the paddy wagon. <laughs> I'm no keystone. No, and, and you better get in there and don't take any wooden nickels. <laughs> yeah, I'm no keystone. I'm no keystone cop. <laughs> Jesus Christ, the twenties was fucking amazing. Uh, and, speaking and the best part is like these people were just shit faced, <laughs> just all around like wearing like fancy suits. And t- t- Tootsie was was recorded in 1922. Oh, I was right again. It appeared in the ja- the jazz singer is where Jolson sang it, and that was that was uh, released in 1927. Right again. So there you go. Don't quote me. Don't try to like you know. Wait a minute, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. Don't well, try to like fight me on the 20s, buddy. I know my shit. I am super excited about the. The year 2020 for the We Can't Wrestle podcast, as long as World War III doesn't kill us all, if you listen to social media and the media. But uh, I'm sure we'll be fine, and by 2021, we'll still be recording this show, 
And that being said, since we're in the 20s, we finally caught up with ourselves. We're going to play Toot Toot Tootsie to uh, send us out here. Aaron, anything else you want to say to our listeners before we sign off? No, just um, if anybody gets any of those elusive Houdini tickets, please let me know. I'd like to see him. I went to see him, but the guy disappeared. (laughs) There it is. Tootsie. Goodbye. Goodbye. Yes. We'll see you next time around on the We Can't Wrestle podcast where we will be reviewing WWF Super Tape Volume 2. Like, if I could take prophylactics and equal rights to the 20s with me, I would maybe go back. (laughs) Uh, We'll see you next time around on the We Can't Wrestle podcast. Thank you all for a great 2019. And thank you for joining us on our journey through 2020. We'll see you next week. Episode 84, Al is whistling us out, is in the books.